Hello everyone, welcome to Paket Pusher. I am Orhan Ergin. Little bit about my background. I have CCIE and CCD. I am doing my blog on the Paket Pushers as well as uh, networkcomputing.com. Today we are going to talk about IPv6, specifically IPv6 in the enterprise. I have with me Jeff Doyle. You may not know Jeff Doyle since he's very new for the industry, but uh, <laughs> Jeff, welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Orhan. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty new. I've been uh, in networking since uh, maybe 1937 or so. Yes, yes, yes. TCP IP Volume 1, Volume 2, everyone knows those books. So, But still, can we know who is Jeff Doyle uh, for the maybe some listener? Um, I've been in networking probably since the, uh, the mid-1980s. Uh, I've been um, all, pretty much always a consultant of one sort or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, I've, I've uh, written some books uh, routing TCP IP for uh, Cisco Press. I've written a book on uh, Juniper Networks routers. Uh, very early in uh, the life of Juniper Networks, mm-hmm. ironically enough, titled Juniper Networks Routers. And uh, I've written a book, it's actually my favorite book of all that I've uh, written um, on OSPF and ISIS. Yes. And I've got a book coming out with a couple of friends of mine um, in uh, probably a month or so um, on uh, SDN and OpenFlow. Uh, so, uh, quite a few books there I've, uh, I've written for, um, oh, Network World, Information Week, Forbes Magazine, uh, several others, um, and have uh, been involved in the IPv6 community probably since the late 1990s. Um, and uh, so, you you uh, said OpenFlow and SDN book actually. I wonder when is it coming. Um, well, if, if we manage to get all of our uh, individual pieces done, uh, it should be out in about a month oh. and uh, should be able cool. to... Uh, cool, very nice, actually. Oh, yes, yes. I shouldn't miss it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> if you are ready, let's start. IPv6, let's design IPv6 for the enterprise. Okay. Okay, let's start. Why uh, IPv6 specifically for enterprise, Jeff? Yeah, and that that's a really good question because I think the drivers uh, in most cases are completely different between enterprise and service providers. And of course, service providers have been uh, actively trying to get IPv6 going for quite a few years. Um, and the driver for them is simply addresses. Uh, the only way they can stay in business is uh, because they're burning through IP addresses to add new customers on such a regular basis that uh, uh, they were seeing, you know, as early as 2006, 2007, um, (coughs) pardon me, around there, uh, they were seeing, you know, that that if they did projections on on available address space, uh, they could see where the only way for them to continue growing uh, their customer base was to start using IPv6 for customers. And where this is particularly applicable is for uh, providers to uh, home users and providers to small office users. So, um, so those kinds of service providers, you know, here in the U.S., it would be, um, you know, Comcast, uh, Charter Cable, Cox Cable, um, 
uh, sensory link, people like that, that are, are providing to the home. And uh, so there is that driver for service providers. And it's been well known for a long time. I've been saying for probably uh, two or three years that if you're a service provider and you're not actively planning for IPv6, then you're in big trouble uh, because it is a couple of years process to, to start getting your networks ready for IPv6. Um, for enterprises, the driver is completely different. It's not that they're running out of IP addresses. Uh, most enterprises, there's obviously exceptions, but most enterprises just are not burning through uh, their address space uh, very quickly like service providers are. Um, instead, the, the big driver for enterprises is that service providers are creating more and more IPv6 users in the home, in the small office, um, and then also areas where they've depleted IPv4 addresses more quickly like, um, like uh, the uh, AP NIC regions um, you know, Japan, China, uh, South Korea, all of those areas. Um, if you have enterprises that are doing business in those areas or are trying to open uh, branch offices in those areas, probably, you know, they're going to have to deal with IPv6 also. So it's a matter of incoming traffic to the enterprise network. Um, and uh, that is going to be more IPv6 um uh, based than it is now. Um, and there's two ways to look at that. Oh, and one other piece I should also say that sometimes enterprises forget is um, if they, if enterprises have uh, employees that are telecommuters and are working from home, more and more of those employees are going to be having to get into um, uh, VPN, into the, the, the systems over IPv6. And so, um, you know, so that's another area where you're going to start seeing incoming IPv6 traffic. And right now, it's sort of covered up uh, because service providers, you know, are fully aware that, you know, they're, they're having to deploy IPv6 to end users, but those end users are wanting to go to mostly IPv4 destinations. And so the service providers are building various kinds of uh, carrier-grade NAT solutions so that those IPv6 users can reach IPv4 destinations. And uh, so enterprises may actually see what appears to be still just IPv4 traffic coming into them because of, uh, because of carrier-grade NAT. The problem is that carrier-grade NAT can break certain... Um, certain applications and so your applications in your data centers uh, there you have to examine them very carefully um, and see how they react to users coming through carrier-grade NAT because if an application breaks um, an end user is not really going to think you know oh well you know my uh, service provider is using carrier grade NAT, and that's why this application doesn't work anymore. You know, instead they're going to blame, you know, whoever the enterprise operator is, uh, you know, providing that service or that application. Um, and 
all the end user knows is, well, this application used to work and now it doesn't. Um, and, you know, so that, that becomes a potential liability uh, for an enterprise operator. So, uh, so anyway, really long story there to say that the real driver for enterprises, uh, more than address depletion, uh, in most cases, is having to service a growing number of end users that are trying to reach uh, their systems over IPv6. Yeah, maybe the enterprise, they don't need so many IP addresses like service providers. But uh, you didn't mention, actually, it was a surprise for me, uh, you didn't mention Internet of Things. Oh, well, uh, Internet of Things, that's, <laughs> certainly, that's certainly going to be, um, I don't know, what a, that sort of uh, seems to be the, the marketing term of, of uh, du jour uh, uh-huh. this year, uh, maybe not. Du jour, what's uh, what's the equivalent for of the year? But uh, um, you know, it's certainly very popular right now, and to some degree, Internet of Things seems to be a nice marketing term around what. Um, <coughs> pardon me, I've got a little bit of a cold here. Um, uh, we've got uh, um, you know for oh since the. Um, Early 2000s, you know, we've mm-hmm. been talking about, you know, internet-enabled appliances and internet-enabled automobiles and, you know, internet-enabled whatever. And that's all sort of, in my opinion, has all been sort of uh, packaged up. And, you know, we're calling it now the Internet of Things. It just means that, you know, so much is is internet attached now. And, and IPv6 is a big part of enabling that. Mm-hmm. Not that there's any special capability, again, with IPv6. It's just that, um, you know, we have the addresses available that we didn't have with IPv4. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's certainly going to uh, increase potentially uh, traffic into um, an enterprise network, maybe it's going to generate uh, more traffic uh, or more address needs within an enterprise network, but that's going to be very specific to what the enterprise is. So, for example, if, if uh, you are um, you know, a manufacturer or an oil company, um, or um, you know some other kind Smart of enterprise stuff, that's yeah. exactly some uh, some uh, um, enterprise that's using a lot of metrics, using a lot of sensors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then then you know there's going to be obviously if you want to start integrating that into IP at all, you're going to have a need for a lot of IP addresses. Um, you know, there's there's. Dozens of, of those kinds of use cases out there for, for that sort of thing. Let's see how the Internet of Things also will affect and will be a driver or not. Okay, what about yep. IPv6 uh, adoption in the enterprise? It's, is it really growing? What do you see? It is. Uh, you know, the, the place that, uh, that I like to go is uh, because it's just accessible and I, I update the chart almost every time I do a, uh, a talk on IPv6 to customers is, uh, is Google and what they, uh, the, what they monitor. Um, I can't recall the, the exact URL right now, but if you, if you Google, mm-hmm. uh, Google IPv6, <laughs> um, you'll, you can actually see a uh, chart 
where they're monitoring uh, within their own data centers the amount of IPv6 traffic that is coming into their data center. And um, here's the thing that's really interesting about that is probably three months ago, I was you know showing uh, this to customers and the amount of traffic that Google was measuring uh, in their data coming into their data centers was around three percent of all internet traffic, and uh, people would, um, you know, customers that I would present this to would say, "Well, three percent doesn't seem all that uh, significant." And probably the last time I did a presentation on this, which was maybe a month ago, uh, that amount had risen to four percent. And if you really think about that, um, you know, you could say, oh, 3%, 4%, that's, that's just not very significant. But if you look at a growth of 1% over just a couple of months, that's pretty significant. And it's, it's really indicating that uh, IPv6 traffic is going to start growing uh, at an exponential rate. And if you actually look at these charts that Google puts out, uh, the curve is accelerating up uh, into an exponentially shaped curve. Um, so, you know, a year from now, um, you know, we may be at that same um, chart, you know, maybe at, at 8% or 10% or 12%. And, uh, you know, it really indicates that that IPv6 is growing very quickly. Wow, it's actually one percent is big. Yeah, yeah. I want to start yeah. the design actually to talk. And uh, what are the design alternatives for the enterprise from the IPv6 design point of view? Yeah, and and obviously it's going to depend a lot on on the enterprise and what they're doing. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's it's almost a, an opposite approach from service providers. Uh, I have, in and most of my IPv6 uh, work that I've done over the year has over the years has been with service providers, and the recommended approach there has always been uh, core to edge, because uh, and my reasoning was always you know if if you you know if I was in front of a whiteboard I would draw these things out, but uh, basically you draw a bunch of concentric circles, and in the in the middle of that circle is the core. Around that is uh, support services for the core, you know, uh, um, DNS, DHCP, all of that kind of thing. Around that is management. Around that is security. And then at the very outside is uh, the access network. And I would always talk about that if you work from the core out, you work from what is a very simple uh, implementation out to the most difficult parts of the impl uh, implementation, which is the access network. Um, um, and complex in terms of not just um, um, not just technical complexity, but also in terms of what vendors are supporting and all that sort of thing. Uh, the core is very easy, very much low-hanging fruit um, for converting to IPv6. You know, most all core routers 
will support IPv6, and it's just a matter of enabling it. Uh, you know, choosing a routing protocol, putting the right uh, addresses on the interfaces, and you're ready to go. Uh, you know, as you start moving out to support services, and then especially to management and out to security. Uh, things become more and more difficult. And so you're starting with the easy parts and working out to the more difficult parts, which allow you to learn as you go and particularly uh, allow your engineering and operations staff to learn as they go. Uh, so the very last thing they do is, is touch the customers out of the edge network uh, with you know a, a network that is now fully IPv6 capable. Well, that's service provider networks. For enterprise, there um, could very well not be any time real soon uh, a need for IPv6 in the core of that network, depending on what an enterprise core looks like. And, you know, that, that can be built very differently. So a lot of times, the only thing that's really needed in the short term for enterprise networks is IPv6 capability at the edge of the network. And, um, and again, this is going to depend on, you know, what kind of enterprise are we talking about? You know, is this, um, you know, uh, a, you know, an office or uh, uh, agency or something that is, um, you know, primarily supporting branch offices and that sort of thing. Or are we talking about data centers? Uh, with data centers, there's, there's some very specific challenges because that's obviously a sink for incoming traffic. Um, and, um, you know, as opposed to, you know, if an enterprise is mostly offices and, um, you know, and, and users and that sort of thing, that's mostly a generator of outgoing traffic. Um, <coughs> so uh, with a data center, you, you want to have different kinds of strategies. And it could be something as simple as enabling IPv6 on your uh, load balancers at the edge of the network so that... Uh, Incoming traffic is um, uh, incoming IPv6 traffic is uh, translated to IPv4 into the data center, um, or you know maybe even vice versa. And there is a really interesting um, presentation um, out on uh, the internet, and I I forget the guy's name. Um, I want to say he's from uh, Norway, somewhere like that. And he has actually approached just the opposite with his data center um, and converted the entire data center to IPv6 only and has turned the translators around at the edge of his network uh, so, that, um, so that any incoming IPv4 traffic is translated to IPv6 into the data center and so vice versa. You know, it's not using SLB 64, but 46, right? Exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay. And the reasoning being, you know, uh, what he is saying is, you know, I, I don't really want to have to manage two different um, um, IP versions on every one of my interfaces of every one of my servers because that's obviously complex. Um, you know, we've got to go to IPv6 eventually, so I might as well do it now 
Um, and so, you know, that was the reasoning there is mm -hmm. to have an IPv6 only data center and translate IPv4 at the edge instead of, you know, still an IPv4 data center and translating IPv6 at the edge. And so it's a, it's an interesting approach. Yeah. And uh, when you talk uh, with the service provider from core to edge approach, uh, yeah. basically dual stack we are talking, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. For, and now for the enterprise, edge to core, you advise, is that correct? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, again, I'm... I'm maybe a little bit more hesitant there because there's such, you know, if you really think about the way a service provider network is built, you know, from one to another, they don't look that much different. Um, you know, there's, there's just some fundamental building blocks in a uh, service provider network. Um, enterprise networks, on the other hand, there can be just a tremendous variety of uh, architectures and, and strategies for building them. And so as a result, uh, you know, the, the strategy for deploying IPv6 into the enterprise is, is going to vary a lot more too. Um, but in general, yes, um, begin with deployment at the edge of the network um, and deploy just into the parts of your network where outside users are going to need to uh, to reach via IPv6, which is, you know, generally going to be, you know, any customer-facing applications or services or information, you know, just pretty much the data center. Uh, it's also going to be, um, if, you know, for if you have telecommuting employees, it's going to be uh, VPN capabilities and being able to support those via IPv6. Um, and whatever applications those employees are trying to access um, within the network. So, so whether that means translation at the edge or whether that means uh, internally going into you know the the uh, more towards the core of the network, um, you know, but just in certain aspects, um, it is is uh, something that has to be considered. Yeah, actually, so, uh, so a lot. Yeah, go ahead, please. Oh, I was just going to say. Uh, so a lot of it is um, is just uh, going to be um, having to to for a specific enterprise having to carefully analyze what the traffic is in the network, who the users are of that network, mm -hmm. and um, you know, and, and and then approaching a strategy from there. Enabling in the IPv6 in the Internet Edge for the enterprise, I believe, should be even part of their business continuity plan. Do you agree? Uh, yes, um, in in uh, most cases, mm -hmm. and I think that you know it's 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 interesting. I mean, here we are on this call talking about uh, IPv6 for the enterprise. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that we're actually in the very early stages of uh, of moving from IPv4 to IPv6 in, in uh, the enterprise. Um, and sort of the way I put it is that we are, most enterprises are at the stage where service providers probably were around 2006, which is uh, still just asking the questions of, you know, 
does this really matter to me? Is this something I'm ever going to have to do? And if I do, you know, when am I going to have to do it? How do I uh, start planning for IPv6? Um, and, uh, you know, and what's it going to cost me? And what's the potential benefit for me? Um, and that last part, that, you know, what's the potential benefit, is uh, a really important question for engineers to be asking because eventually you've got to answer to, you know, the C-level of your company, you know, who is going to say, well, you know, why am I spending money on this? And, you know, and what's the benefit to the company? And, um, you know, and, and there needs to be a good answer for that. Um, just like there was with, uh, with service providers where early on, um, a lot of executive level people were saying, well, how can I make money with IPv6? You know, if I'm going to invest all this money in converting, um, you know, how does that become profitable? And, uh, you know, and, and the answer there was, uh, um, of course, well, you really can't make money off IPv6. The business case for IPv6 is just that you get to stay in business, um, you know, and it's, it's more a, uh, um, a, a uh, facilities question than it is a services question. Um, the same way you would say, well, you know, you've got to uh, invest money in increasing bandwidth, in increasing server capacity, uh, increasing storage in your data center. Um, in the, those same regards, the case for IPv6 is just increasing your IP address capability. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, there really isn't any other business case for IPv6 than just that. Another interesting topic actually, the IPv6 addressing, addressing design, addressing plan is different than IPv4. Yep. Let's jump to that <laughs> topic and uh, for the IPv6 addressing plan design, what we really need to consider as an enterprise. Sure, sure. and the, the way I've always presented um, for IPv6 address plans is the very first thing you need to do is forget everything you've learned about IPv4 address design um, because almost all the mistakes that I've seen around IPv6 address design, um, all the mistakes that I've seen made um, are uh, from people still thinking in terms of IPv4 address design. The primary principle, uh, fundamental principle of IPv4 address design is address conservation. Um, and this goes all the way back to, I mean, this, uh, this is not a new thing at all. This goes back to, you know, when I was teaching networking classes in the early 1990s, um, I was teaching, you know, address design strategies where you very carefully calculated out, uh, you know, what subnets you would need, how many hosts you would need per subnet, and all of that kind of thing. And, of course, you get uh, out of that, um, you know, a lot of variable length subnet masking and, um, you know, and, you know, a lot of complexity around managing your uh, uh, address space. With IPv6, you know, everybody has their fa their favorite uh, little analogy uh, that emphasizes, um, you know, how much larger the IPv6 space is than the IPv4 space. And it's IPv6 is intentionally designed so that uh, at every level of a hierarchy, 
in an address design with IPv6, there are going to be more addresses than you could ever possibly use. And the problem that people have uh, that have grown up doing IPv4 address designs is just that that runs so counter to every intuition uh, that an engineer has, you know, that I've got to be conservative with my addresses, I've got to be very careful, and um, you, know, you, you come along with IPv6, for example, and someone like me says, well, you know, for every single uh, subnet in your network, uh, you know, make a, a slash 64, 64-bit 64 uh, subnet, and that includes your point-to-point -point links. Um, and so people will have a reaction to that of, wait a minute, for a slash 64, uh, I've got about uh, 18 um, million trillion IPv6 addresses, and I'm only ever going to use two of those uh, if I do a slash 64. And, you know, and they'll say, I just, I, I can't live with that. I've got a have a slash 126 or whatever, you know, which is a, you know, the equivalent of doing a slash uh, 30 or something, slash 31 with IPv4. Um, and, you know, because I've got to conserve these addresses, I just can't afford to waste those many. And the challenge is to convince people that it's okay to waste all those addresses, you know, that sure, you're never going to use uh, any more, you know, if it's a point-to-point -point link, you're never going to use any more than two addresses out of, you know, 18 million, uh, million, actually, what is it, 18 million billion addresses uh, than, um, than you will, well, that you ever will. Uh, another example is, um, is the idea, and this is where I like to challenge service providers, is you know every single site uh, of a user network should get a slash forty eight, um, and you know a site can be a home. Uh, you know if it's an enterprise, it could mean uh, every building uh, that an enterprise owns. It could mean maybe every floor in a building. You know let the customer decide that and assign a slash forty eight for each. Uh, they're never going to use anywhere close. To the full capacity of um, of that slash forty eight, you know, it's it's a vast uh, astronomical uh, number of addresses. But the point is, the entire IPv six address space is so large that that's insignificant to use that many addresses, and and we can do that. And the uh, the address space was designed for us to do to do that. So what we get in exchange for um, you know for that supposedly wasteful approach to addresses is one size fits all address assignments so you know from a service provider assignment standpoint you know every site every customer site gets a slash 48 uh, from uh, you know an enterprise or end user perspective it means every single subnet no matter what that subnet is gets a slash 64 and you know so you've got this consistency you no longer have variable link subnet masking uh, you know you're not trying to to engineer and predict what every you know what the needs of every subnet are going to be you just you know 
assign this this massive block of addresses which is a slash 64 to every subnet and you'll never ever have to worry about running out of them and this is something that is supported by um, the regional internet registries um, you know which is another objection that I hear quite a bit or you know when I start talking about these kinds of things is um, you know but uh, you know with IPv4 we've always had to prove that we've efficiently used all of the address space um, that we've been given before we can be given more address space and that's not really the case with IPv6 and if you look at you know here in North America if you look at Aaron's policies uh, it specifically says in their policies that uh, that every site can be assigned a slash 48 and it specifically um, defines that every that a site um, is customer definable it means a specific building or a home or um, um, you know some other standalone entity like that uh, so um, actually had someone from Aaron a while back talk about well you know a site could be a single user so if you look at like a uh, university dorm room uh, or a, a, a university dormitory there might be 600 students in that dormitory and each one of those students uh, because they're individual from everybody else uh, might be a site every one of those dorm rooms might be a site and so you might you know have a need for 600 slash 48 uh, there and that example was was sort of intentionally absurd but it's just to show that that IPv6 is fully capable of supporting that kind of thing and uh, the RIRs will support that kind of address design now for the home and for the building campus we can assign a service provider slash 48 okay yes. I can understand that uh, let's say in the campus thousands users or in the home one IP address or two IP address whatever out of those 48 these are almost the same it doesn't matter if we assume service provider will get slash 32 and assign slash 48 the 16 bit remains so 65,000 network or 65,000 customers they can assign only in that case I believe that service provider also needs to go to uh, regional registry and ask the bigger subnet uh, yeah that's correct I mean normally uh, if if a service provider goes to the uh, uh, regional internet registry and asks for an assignment they're gonna get something like a, a slash 32 or maybe a you know maybe something a little bit shorter shorter than that depending on you know their customer size maybe a slash 28 or something um, the point is that if they are giving out slash 48s um, you know they can go back and get more address space from their RIR when when they start using that uh, using up their original assigned block um, and it's it's not a problem it's um, you know the uh, policies of the RIRs support being able to do that and the, the reason I'm kind of emphasizing that mm -hmm. I mean most service providers are not doing that right now they are there are some service providers that just uh, you know give a flat uh, slash 48 uh, to everybody but it's kind of rare 
what you normally see right now mm -hmm. is that service providers will say, okay, well, I'm going to uh, hand out addresses uh, or address blocks depending on what kind of users I have and the size of users. And, and that, that size, quote unquote, tends to be uh, a bit of an arbitrary uh, definition. But they'll say, okay, well, with, with home users or, you know, small office users, we'll uh, hand out a slash 64, you know, because they'll never use more than just that. Or, you know, or some will even say, well, maybe somewhere in the future they'll have need for a few subnets. So we'll give them a slash 60. Uh, but, you know, usually for small users, they'll say, you know, the assignment space is a slash 64 or a slash 60. Uh, for medium-sized users, they'll hand out a slash 56. Um, and then they'll, you know, under their definition, they'll say, and large, large users can get a slash 48. Um, and my question is always, well, you know, why should it be the business of a service provider to decide whether their customer is large, medium, or small? And how do they how do they define that, and how do they deal with a customer that say is uh, that you know maybe goes from uh, within that service provider's definition a a medium network to a large network or from a small network to a medium sized network um, you know are they now going to get a different kind of address block and have to be forced to readdress their network and all that sort of thing where um, you know it, it's complexities that come into the address design unnecessarily for the service provider and for the user whereas if you just say well you know whatever size site you have um, you know we'll give you a slash 48 and you know we're just going to be consistent about that um, then you know, then you don't have to deal with those complexities and you don't have to deal with those um, potential administrative issues. So as a service provider, let's assign to every customer, regardless of their size, uh, slash 48, and then let's get consistent and simple IPv6 addressing plan. And <coughs> as an enterprise... Uh, if you assign slash 64 everywhere, including point-to-point -point link, so again, consistency and simple design we will have. What about, uh, let's go to the last part, and uh, what is Jeff Doyle's advices for the enterprise to deploy IPv6? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, my advice is um, to consider carefully you know, what the traffic is, what's the nature of the traffic coming into your site. And sometimes this is some difficult analysis to do because if you are, um, you know, only advertising IPv4 uh, services, you may actually be causing uh, native IPv6 users to go through carrier-grade NAT uh, to get to your services which means you know you're not really seeing how much of your service uh, can be offered, uh, um, you know, natively to IPv6 users without having to go through these translators, and you know, so possibly uh, somewhere in the plans you might want to do what service providers have done in the past, which is have an IPv6 day, where uh, just for one day you. Um, you know, you advertise your services 
via IPv6, and you see how much of your incoming traffic uh, switches to IPv6. It's a that's a pr been a proven strategy uh, with service providers uh, and content providers over the last few years. Um, you know when when they have done that transition, and you know this has mostly been sponsored by the IPv6 forum and others. You know to have a set IPv6 day. Um, you know, and a lot of a lot of uh, service providers and content providers originally did that shift and found it so easy to do. They just stayed there. You know, where they intended to offer services just for that one day, just to get a measurement. Um, they just decided to leave the IPv6 capability in place. Uh, so that's one thing to consider. But as far as overall strategy for the enterprise, uh, what my advice is, again, going back to uh, you know the kind of advice I was giving to service providers in um, you know 2006, 2008, around there, is you know analyze your incoming traffic analyze what kind of services you're offering um, analyze you know when you will need IPv6 uh, again with enterprises that's a little more complex than service providers uh, because the networks are more diverse uh, you know basically you need to figure out now you know when you're going to start needing IPv6 and start developing plans uh, you know, even if you're not going to convert to IPv6 in the next year, you should be able to answer the question of, well, when will you have uh, an IPv6 deployment project started? Uh, what parts of your network are going to be touched by IPv6? And at what point will those deployment plans be completed? Um, you know, just in uh, a rough time spectrum. Um, and then figure out, uh, beyond that, you know, what are those deployment plans? What parts of your network need to be touched? Uh, so, you know, if you're going to start with IPv6 at the edge, uh, what does that really mean? What, uh, you know, what components in your network have to be actually IPv6 capable? Uh, what kind of services, whether it's translators or tunnels or whatever, uh, for that transition period need to be used? Um, and you know what services within your network uh, need to be touched for IPv6. So how do you uh, not only deploy the addresses, but how do you manage those addresses? How do you manage that network? How do you secure that network? And security is a huge part of that. So um, those are those are all considerations for uh, planning for IPv6. Yeah, let's deploy IPv6. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, in my opinion, the the sooner, you know, it's it's a painful thing. It certainly is. It's you know, it it can be expensive, and you know, it it's time consuming. It means new training, but it's, it's going to happen eventually. And yeah. the longer we put it off, the, the longer we put off IPv6 deployment, the more complex, the more expensive it becomes. And so, you know, there there's a bit of a. a a case to be made for just ripping off the band-aid, you know, and, and sustaining that that pain early on, so that you're ready and uh, and you don't have to speculate so much of uh, you know, well, when is the rest of the internet going to become majority IPv6 traffic, and you know how you know when how does that affect my business, and when does it affect it? Um, 
<laughs> you can instead just say, I'm ready for it now. And so I don't have to worry about those things anymore. I was reading maybe a couple of weeks before uh, something related with without IP uh, and communication. So I was worried that what if we studied, uh, all of us understood IPv6 deployed, then uh, IPv6 not there anymore. And it was named data networking, something like that. Uh, I really don't remember now by heart. So I don't know. Hopefully IPv6 stays there uh, for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in my opinion, IPv6 will be around, um, you know, forever. This is, this is the last time we'll have to go through this kind of uh, addressing change. And if you really think about it, it's, it's um, you know, the reason that we're sort of having to go through all of these changes is, uh, is that, uh, you know, IP, the original IPv4, was never really designed to handle the kinds of networks that it's currently supporting. So, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's likely that even if, if we use IP, you know, I'm sorry, I, th I think I'm saying this poorly, but uh, um, I think that IP itself as a protocol mm -hmm. will become obsolete before we ever need to go to another address version yeah. of, of IP. I was thinking that part, exactly. So, yeah. Jeff, you were also a little bit sick, but you came today. Appreciate it, really. It was excellent talk. Thank you very much. I am really glad to have you here in this podcast today. Thank you. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff.